You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Great. Um, it's good to be here. It's, uh, it is like homecoming for me as well. Um, I get to meet up with friends like the Atkins and the Plymels and the D- Dills and the Wingies. It's really great. Now, <clears throat> I was asked to speak on the book of Daniel, and uh, that's my favorite book in the whole Bible. So asking me to speak on Daniel, it's kind of like, I don't know, asking a bear to eat honey or something like that. I guess apparently I wrote a book on Daniel. He said two, well, only one actually, but you know. Anyway, uh, the theme of Daniel is this, God rules the nations. Do not fear. Now, how many of you believe that God's in control? You're at church, you're supposed to raise your hand, you know, all right. But do you really believe that God's in control? I don't know about you, I don't know if you've noticed, there's been, you know, a few things in the news that kind of got a few of us feeling like, I don't know what's going on and stuff like that. But you know what? God rules the nations. Daniel, he lived through two big regime changes. You know? He lived through a bit more than we did. And really, there's two main messages of Daniel. Number one is God is in control. And the other one is how to stay righteous in a world that's trying to take away and remove your righteousness. And the, the, Daniel, it's kind of like in two parts. All right, the, the, there's the part that is the, the prophecies. And that's the part I'm going to be talking about this morning. They had me do the hard part. And, and then, so Daniel 2... Uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Those are the visions of the future. And then there's Daniel 1 and 3 through 6, which is practical stories. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trying to deal with the world, trying to get them to compromise their faith. And you might think, well, what's the connection between the visions of the future and just dealing with the everyday reality of trying to stay faithful to God? Well, think about it. If God could take in, put in kings and take them out, if he, can, if he can raise up nations and, and bring them out, if he can prophesy these things hundreds or thousands of years in the future, do you think he can take care of your bank account? Do you think he can take care of your health issue? Do you think he could find you a spouse if he wanted you to have one? But the question is, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? So that's the connection between the two parts of, of Daniel. Now, Daniel in the Old Testament is more or less equivalent to Revelation in the New Testament. Both were written to a people undergoing great persecution, and the message was, God's in control. That, that Lord's Supper talk was so appropriate to what we're talking about. We had a brother who's been in situations in his life where it just didn't seem like God was in control. It seems like things were out of control. And if you read the newspaper, it doesn't really look like God's in control, does it? But he is. You know, faith is belief in things that are not seen. And in order to have faith, sometimes you have to deny your senses. So the audience of Revelation is the Christians undergoing very, very severe persecutions, 
under Domitian and the, and the Roman persecutors. And the message is God's in control. The audience of Daniel is the Jews suffering extreme persecution under Antiochus Epiphanes. He's saying, I don't know who that dude is. Well, there he is. That's Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, we'll learn a little bit about what he did. But during the second century BC, the Jews were suffering probably the worst persecution of their entire history, other than perhaps what happened, of course, during World War II, which was pretty amazing. So Daniel in the Old Testament is like Revolu Revelation in the New Testament. Now, Daniel is a genre of literature that's unique. It's history of the future. You go into the library, you ask, where's the section of history books of the future? And they don't actually have any of those. And Daniel gives a detailed account down to the most precise details imaginable. We're going to see it. It's, it's really crazy. I mean, it is really crazy how far ahead and how detailed the prophecies of Daniel were. But it's not like God's trying to, you know, do a, some, a magic trick or something like that. The point is this. God rules the nations. And, you know, we talked about diversity and all that. Daniel's an unusual prophet because the other prophets preached to the Jews. But Daniel's audience was all the nations, including all the nations that are here today. Oh, there's a bunch of stuff. I do a sort of a thorough, deep, six-hour version. We're getting the 40-minute version, so I have to skip a bunch of slides here. I need to give a little bit of historical background, though. All right, so most of you are aware that the northern kingdom was destroyed under, uh, under Sennacherib in 722 B.C. Well, you didn't know the date, but it was 722 B.C. You can trust me on that. And then uh, the, the southern kingdom was more faithful to God, and they had Hezekiah and they had Josiah, but ultimately, they too worshipped idols, and God allowed uh, Nebuchadnezzar to come and destroy uh, Jerusalem. Now, in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem. He did not destroy it or de defeat it at that time, and he took hostages. And that was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these were the children of the royal family. And he says, you know, you need to pay tribute. In fact, if you don't pay the tribute, we have your children, basically. All right, and, and so, by the way, in, in Jeremiah, it was prophesied that the captivity would be for 70 years. That's Daniel, uh, I'm sorry, in uh, Jeremiah 27. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken into captivity in 605. And then, unfortunately, the Jews rebelled. So Nebuchadnezzar came back in 597, and he took away Jehoiachin, and he left Zedekiah there. And unfortunately, they rebelled again. So Nebuchadnezzar came back in 585 BC, excuse me, 586 BC, and he leveled the city, destroyed the temple, and sent them into captivity. And it's interesting. Guess how many years it was before they rebuilt the temple? 70 years. So they went into captivity, but then um, God raised up Cyrus, the Persian king. And Cyrus destroyed the Babylonian Empire as prophesied by Isaiah in 538 B.C. And then the Jews returned in 536, 70 years after the destruction. And then a period of Persian dominance happened for a few hundred years. And then God raised up Alexander the Great. You probably heard of that guy. 
535 BC, it crosses from Europe into Asia. Three years later, the mighty Persian Empire was completely destroyed. All right, here's a, here's a map of the Babylonian Empire of Nebuchadnezzar, a map of the, uh, of the Empire of Alexander the Great, I'm sorry, the Persian Empire under Cyrus, and then a map of the Alexander the Great's empire. And by the way, all these events are prophesied by Daniel. Anyway, um, when, when Alexander died, four generals raised up and formed four dynasties. And, and eventually one of them, a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, he decided to attack the Jews. He sacrificed pigs in the temple. He smeared the blood of pigs all over the temple. And he put a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. And the face on the statue was that of Antiochus Epiphanes. Didn't look like God was in control at that time, did it? But God raised up the Maccabees and three years later he was kicked out. We'll see that. All this is prophesied by Daniel. And this was a time of horrible persecution. The Jews were not allowed to circumcise their male children. Uh, they, they held a, a, a Greek sports events right there in Jerusalem. Many Jews compromised their faith, but there were some who remained faithful. And the book of Daniel was written specifically to those Jews in that persecution. Anyway, the, the Greeks ruled, and, and then eventually the Romans came and replaced them. And then uh, sometime around, around 6 BC, in an obscure village in the hills of Galilee, a, a, a child was born who kind of changed the course of human history. And the rest of the story, I don't need to tell you, I think you know about that. Okay, great. Now, very, very brief outline of Daniel. Chapter 1, 3, 4, 5, and 6 is practical stories where these teenagers, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and later on as adults, and even older adults actually, they're being challenged to compromise their faith. There's the fiery furnace. There's the writing on the wall. There's Daniel in the lion's den. But those, that's what you guys are going to hear in the next few weeks in the sermons. So I'm going to be looking instead at the prophecies of the future, chapters 2 and 7 through 12. Now let's go to Daniel 1 just to get a, a very, 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 very brief glimpse of the kind of things you're going to be reading, uh, hearing about in the next few weeks in your various services. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles in the temple of God. They were carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. The year is 605 B.C. And it says here, the Lord delivered the Jews into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Do you think the Jews saw it that way at the time? I don't think so. And so they took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Medigo, and by the way, is Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, and they took them from their families. They gave them Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, which is the name of, of, a, of a Babylonian god. For the rest of his life, he was named after an idol. They had no family. 
They had no Bible. They had no discipling partner. They had no church. Anyway, so uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to give you an awesome job. Great pay, great benefits, and you're going to be raised up in my kingdom. And they were teenagers. And he said, you know, but you need to eat the royal food. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we're not going to eat your royal food. They said, you can keep your job. We're never going to compromise our convictions. Teenagers. What did they have? It didn't look good. No family. I mean, God had allowed their people to be conquered. The treasury of the house of Israel was sitting in the treasure house of Babylon. It looks like everything's falling apart. God is not in control. But these teenagers said, we will not compromise. We will not eat food that is unclean. And they were faithful. And they saw and they understood that it was God who put them in that place. In verse 2 it says, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim. In verse 9 it says, God caused the official to show favor to Daniel. In verse 17 it says, God gave them knowledge and understanding. Teenagers. No church. No Bible. But they stood up for God. So anyway, you're going to be looking at a bunch of examples like this. My favorite is actually Daniel chapter 3. Hopefully you'll have that maybe in the next couple weeks. But Daniel and his friends resolved never to compromise their faith for a job or for anything else. Some of us, we've compromised. We've told a few half-truths on the job in order to keep that job. We've taken a job that took us away from active participation in the fellowship. But they said, you can keep your job. And the cool thing is, they said, you can keep your job. We're going to eat vegetables. And then after eating vegetables, they were looking more buff than anybody else. God had raised them up anyway. And he made the other people eat vegetables. They weren't too happy about that. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to, there's Daniel 3. I'm going to skip all that. All right. Visions of the future. Let's go to Daniel chapter 2. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And it's a dream of a massive statue with a head of gold, arms and chest of silver, belly and thigh of bronze, legs of iron. And it's like he'd never had a dream like this before. And he wakes wakes up in the morning and he says, Oh my gods. (laughs) Oh my gods. He'd had a religious experience. He says, I have to know what this dream is about. So he pulls in all his astrologers and magicians and all these pagan people with all their pretend miracles and all that kind of stuff. And he says, hey, look, you need to tell me about my dream. They said, awesome, Neb. Tell us your dream and then we'll interpret it. And he he knows they're a bunch of religious fakers. They get all their miracles and everybody knows these miracles are really not real. He says, no, no, not this time, folks. We're stopping the religious games here. You tell me your dream, my dream, and then you tell me the interpretation, or else I'm going to kill you all. They're like, ah. And nobody ever asks us to prove we actually have real miracles. But it turns out Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that group of advisors who were going to be killed. So Daniel said, I can interpret it. 
No, that's not what he said. Daniel said, there's a God in heaven who knows all things. He can interpret it. So he interpreted the dream. And he said uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a massive statue, like I already said, head of, of, of gold and all that. Now let's go back. Let's, let's review the history. Let's review the history of the time from the time of, of Daniel to uh, the time of Jesus. The head of gold, well, let's read about it. In fact, let's actually look at the passage. Let's look at Daniel's interpretation in Daniel chapter 2. Okay, great. Got to skip a bunch of notes here. All right. Verse 37, Daniel 2, starting in verse 37. Actually, verse 36. This was the dream. And now we will interpret it to the king, your majesty. You are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he's made you rule over them. You are the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar is like, awesome. But then Daniel has some bad news for him, so he's kind of easing him in a little bit. He says, after you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Now, wait a minute. Inferior? Let's see here. The Babylon... Uh-oh, it's got to go a few slides. The Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire. Okay. Daniel's kind of being nice to him. And by the way, Babylon was greater than, as a city, was greater than any ancient city. So I guess so. After you will come another kingdom, one inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze. And the, the silver kingdom, of course, is the Persian Mede Empire. The kingdom of bronze is the Greek Empire founded by Alexander the Great. Right? Finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so it will be a divided kingdom and you will not, it will have some of the strength of iron in it even as you saw iron mixed with clay. And as the toes are partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms, will bring them to an end, and it will itself endure forever. So it says there's going to be a fourth kingdom. The fourth kingdom would be like iron, stronger than any other kingdom. That's Rome. And Rome really was the strongest kingdom of the ancient world. And it says it'll be a divided kingdom. Now, was Rome a divided kingdom? Well, actually it was. It divided after 395 BC, there was the Western Roman Empire. And there was the Eastern Roman Empire. It says part of it will be strong and part of it will be weak. Is that what happened? Exactly. About 60 years later, Western Rome fell, fell apart to the Vandals and Goths and Visigoths. But the Eastern Roman Empire lasted for a thousand years. You know what Daniel just did? He just gave the history of the world for the next 2,000 years. That's pretty impressive. And he says, in the time of those kings, in the time of the Roman kings, another king will be established, but not by human hands. 
And that kingdom will endure forever. Can you think of a kingdom that was established sometime during the time of Rome? Not established by human beings, but established by God that will endure forever? Yeah, we're sitting at a meeting of that kingdom right here. That's sort of cool. Now, I mean, that, that's impressive. I, I'm pretty impressed that Daniel can kind of give the outline of the history for the next 2,000 years. But I'm telling you folks, that's nothing compared to Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 8. So let's go to Daniel 7. All right. A vision of four beasts. Daniel 7. The year is 553 B.C., Daniel's been in captivity for 52 years. How's he doing? Actually, still doing pretty awesome. Still being pretty spiritual, still relying on God. So Daniel has a vision in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. He had a dream and visions passed through his mind. He's lying in bed and he wrote down the substance of his dream. He said, in my vision, I looked and there before me were four winds of heaven churning up the sea, Four great beasts, each different from the others, coming up out of the sea. Now, these four beasts are the same four kingdoms. Babylon, the Persian Mede Empire, the Greek kingdom under Alexander, and then the Roman kingdom. All right? The first was like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a man was given to it. This is about Nebuchadnezzar. And by the way, uh, this is the wall uh, in, uh, in Babylon. And of course, the lion was there. Like we have the eagle, they had the lion. And it's interesting because it's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar came to believe in Jehovah. That's what he's talking about there. And then there was a second beast who looked like a bear. It was raised up on its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth. Kind of makes me think of the Flintstones, kind of like that, I guess, you know. Between its teeth, it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. This is Persia. Now guess how many great empires were conquered by Persia? Three. Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. Then he talks about the, the third beast, the one with four wings, I'm going to skip that because that's what Daniel chapter 8 is about. So I'm going to skip down, all right, in verse 7. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims. It trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from the former beast, and it had ten horns. Well, I was thinking about the horns. There before me was another horn, a little horn, little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. All right? Now imagine you're Daniel. I mean, I have to write this down? I mean, do you remember the first time you read this? Ten horns and... And then the little pipsqueak horn saying, I'm better than you are. And the little horn knocks down three horns, the other horns, and, and speaking boastfully. What, what, what's that about? I'll tell you exactly what it's about. The little horn is Domitian. The little horn is the one who attacked God's saints. I know his name, I know the date. 
And it, this is about Rome. This is a prophecy of Rome. Again, Daniel must have thought, I have to actually write this down. They're going to think I'm crazy. But every single detail that's described here is exactly what happened. So Daniel wanted to know the interpretation. Lucky for us, we have the interpretation. So let's skip down to verse 20. So he asked for the interpretation of the iron teeth and the claws and the terrifying visage. I wanted to know, verse 20, about the ten horns on its head, about the other horn that came up before its three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave the, this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth king or emperor. A kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. Now, this is the fourth kingdom, and it is Rome. Now, was Rome a kingdom? Well, not for about 700 years. For 700 years, it was a republic. In fact, when Daniel lived, Rome was a tiny city. It was a republic on the Tiber River, thousands of miles away. I doubt Daniel had ever even heard about Rome. But actually, under Octavian, also known as Augustus, it was made a kingdom. And here's a list of the kings of Rome. Augustus, Tiberius, Gaius, Caligula, Nero, Galbath, Vitellius, Vespasian, Titus, and Domitian. And Domitian was the first of the Roman kings to systematically attack the church. He made Christianity illegal. And he set apart, uh, uh, in motion the process by which the church was persecuted. Now, does that feel like God's in control? When the saints are attacked? But who prophesied this? Daniel. Who set it about? Who was behind it all? God was behind it all. God allowed the church to be persecuted. Why? Because it, it purified the church. It actually made them stronger. Now it says he'll be boastful. Domitian was so arrogant that he demanded to be addressed as my Lord God, Domitian. Ouch. In fact, he was so arrogant, his name became a watchword for, for arrogance. And that person is a Domitian. Now it says he was the, the 11th king. Let's count. Let's, let's, go, let's go back here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And it says he'll subdue three kings. Well, I'm telling you, that's exactly what happened. Here's what happened. Nero died. Oops, I'll go back. Nero died. And that was the end of the line that started with Julius Caesar. And so they had to have a new dynasty, I guess. So what happened is... Uh, for a brief amount of time, Galba, Otho, and Vitellius each were declared emperor. But only for a few months. In the meantime, the logical successor to the empire was, Vite was Vespasian, who was, who was at Jerusalem 
defeating Jerusalem, fulfilling a prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. He left his son, Titus, behind to finish fulfilling the prophecy in Daniel 9. In the meantime, he rushed back, but his son Domitian was in Rome. And guess what Domitian did? He helped to defeat Galba, Otho, and Vitellius. In all human history, how many times has one king defeated three different prior kings? That's kind of unusual. But Daniel said that. The 11th horn. The little pipsqueak horn. The prideful one. And what does he say about our friend Domitian? He says he will change the set times. You know what Domitian did? This guy was such an arrogant jerk. I can say that. I, we, we need to speak respectfully about our political leaders. Amen? We need to do that. Amen? All right. I can say that about Domitian because he's not my political leader, okay? He was an arrogant jerk. And he was so prideful, he said, from now on, instead of October, it's going to be Domitianus. Instead of November, it's going to be Germanicus, his middle name. It's like having Trumpus or something as our new month, you know what I'm saying? Now, no, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. There's arrogance, and then there's arrogance. You know what I'm saying? But anyway. But do you see how amazing this is? 600 years before the event, God said through Daniel, the 11th king of Rome will subdue three kings. He'll be arrogant, and he'll ch change the set times. It also says here he'll change the laws. Well, that's exactly what happened. Rome had the greatest legal system in the ancient world, and yet this... Domitian, he wiped out the Roman law and he created the Domitian law. Anyway, the day he died, they took, they gave October, November back to being October, November, and they wiped out the Domitian law. But you know, it says here, he would oppress the saints for a time, times, and half a time. See, God will allow suffering and persecution to come on us, and it does not mean that God is not in control. You know, your parents are persecuting you. Maybe they won't even attend your wedding. That doesn't mean that God is not in control. Maybe you have a serious health issue. Maybe there's even turmoil in your church. I don't know. Maybe you got fired. Maybe you just got a, um, a diagnosis. You find out you're going to be dead. In less than a year. Do you still believe that God rules the nations? Do you still believe that God's in control? Will you be faithful? And of course, God took out Domitian. In fact, he took out all those uh, arrogant uh, persecutors of the church and he made Rome eventually into essentially a Christian empire. Amen for that. Uh, Daniel 8. Uh, there's a statue of Domitian. Uh, that statue, just the head alone, is taller than I am. It's there in Ephesus. Truly an arrogant man. Daniel 8. Sheep and goat. So let's go to Daniel 8. Now, D Daniel has a vision here. Um, in verse 2, In my vision I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, in the province of Elam. In the vision I was beside the Ulai Canal. And by the way, there is the Ulai Canal, and here's Susa. And he's looking from Susa across the Ulai Canal, a city he'd never been in probably. All right, and he's looking to the west 
That's the direction he's looking in. And I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal. By the way, that's Persia. And Persia was a two-horned kingdom. It was officially a dual empire, like Persia and Media, right? Persia and Media, they had a dual empire, uh, kind of like Austria-Hungary before World War II in Europe, kind of like that. All right, anyway, um, it, the two horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged to the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased. Now, by the way, there was a shorter horn and the longer horn. And the longer horn was Elam, or, excuse me, Media. And then Cyrus took the horn, and from then on, Persia was the more strong. And it says he charged in what direction here? Excuse me, uh, my voice is going out. We had an hour and a half worship service last night, singing, and then some great singing today. My voice is a little tired, but amen. God rules the nations. God's in control of my throat. All right, got it? Good. All right, it charged first to the west and the north and the south. Exactly. Cyrus conquered Lydia to the west, Turkey today, and then Babylon to the north, and then Egypt to the south. And no one stood in his way. It says, as I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes came from the west. This is Alexander, who came from which direction? From the west, of course. All right, um, with a prominent horn between his eyes, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal, and it charged that in a great way, rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram, shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground. It trampled on it. None could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. I mean, this is practically the exact biography of Alexander the Great. In 535 BC, he crossed the Straits of Dardanelles from Europe to Asia with an army of 30,000. Persia had a standing army of 200,000. And three years later, the entire Persian Empire was destroyed by Alexander the Great. You know, Alexander came to uh, Jerusalem, and the way Josephus tells, him, tells it, uh, the Jews came out with a copy of the book of Daniel. And they showed him Daniel 8, and they said, this is you. And he left Jerusalem, and they said, awesome, you guys are awesome. In fact... <laughs> The Greeks, before Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greeks treated the Jews really, really well. And I believe it's because of that prophecy. So anyway, it says, at the height of his power, he was 35 years old, the horn was broken off. Now, when Alexander died, he'd married Roxanne, a Bactrian princess. She was pregnant, he had no children. So the generals fought it out, and eventually, guess how many dynasties emerged? We can read, you're reading a prophecy of the future, right? You're reading a history book of the future, 530-something B.C. How many? Four, of course. Antigonus, Cassander, Lysimachus, and Ptolemy. Four empires emerged. Exactly as Daniel said, hundreds of years before. Now, Alexander was thinking, hey, it's Athena who's raising me up. I'm powerful because of the gods. I'm telling you, who put Alexander in his place? Who put Putin in his place? 
Well, I think it speaks for itself. All right, now let's see what happens next. Out of one of them, out of those four, out of one of them came another horn which started small. It grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens. It threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and it trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of hosts. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord and his sanctuary was thrown down because of rebellion. The Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did and truth was thrown to the ground. That's Antiochus Epiphanes. Now here's the deal. What happened was one of the generals of Ptolemy, his name is Seleucus, he went and fought a battle against Antigonus and he won. And he conquered Syria. And he said, why should I give Syria to Ptolemy? So he started his own uh, empire and it grew to the south. He conquered Mesopotamia. And then to the east, he conquered Persia. And then to the beautiful land. The beautiful land. Oh, Canaan. In fact, it was actually his great-grandson, Antiochus the Great, who took the beautiful land for the, for the Seleucid dynasty. And it says, Then a terrible man will arise, a horrible man, he says he's going to set himself up to be as great as the host of heavens. And that's exactly what he did. Like I said, Antiochus Epiphanes, he put a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, had been. And the face on the statue was Antiochus Epiphanes. And he outlawed sacrifice. You should read First and Second Maccabees. Where's that? That's in the Apocrypha. You know, ask a, a, maybe a Catholic friend to borrow their Bible, and it's in there. Okay? And you can hear about the terrible things happening. People staying in caves. Uh, women seeing first their children killed in front of them, and then their husband killed in front of them because they'd, they'd circumcised their children. Did it look like God was in control? No, it didn't. Many were unfaithful to God. But God allowed this to happen. Why did this happen? Because of rebellion. Because of whose rebellion? Because of God's people's rebellion. You know, if we're unfaithful to God, if we're arrogant, if we're prideful, if we think we're God's gift to the world, He just might intervene. He might just cause a little problem for us. Oh, wait a minute, that happened about 13 years ago. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you remember. If you're younger, never mind. <laughs> but, you know, it felt like things were falling apart. Our leaders, oh, all this stuff. You know what? After this time, the Jews were more faithful to God than any other time in their entire history since King David. Why? Because God purifies his people. God is in control. We're not in control. God is in control. God rules the nations. Do not fear. Let's read the end of the story. 
Verse 13. And I was looking pretty bad. I was looking terrible. It was looking hopeless for God's people. But God rules the nations. Verse 13. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. He said to me, it'll be 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. You know, we know from historical records the desecration of the temple happened in November of 167 B.C., and then the, jo, Jacob Maccabeus and Jacob Maccabeus ra, ra, raised up and they were defeated. Tens of thousands were killed. But finally, on December 25th, 164 B.C., they defeated Antiochus' army, kicked the Greeks out, and rededicated the temple. Now it says here, how long will it be? It says 2,300 evenings and mornings. That's 1,150 days which is three years, one and a half months. You know, if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I imagine the Jews living in a cave, in desperate situation, perhaps starving, fearing for their life, wondering what's happened to their children. It's been 1,125 days. Amen. God rules the nations. And God took out Antiochus Epiphany. He will take out his enemies. God says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. It's not our place. It is not our place. We leave judgment in the hands of our God. And that's what happened. And then there's Daniel 9. Oh my goodness. Uh-oh, 41 minutes. I'm one minute over. Let me make it official. I'm one minute over already. And I'm just getting to Daniel 9. I got to do Daniel 9 though. Forgive me, I have to do Daniel 9. Now, Daniel's reading Jeremiah, and Daniel 9.1, Daniel's reading Jeremiah, and it says 70 years. And Daniel counts down. He's been in captivity for 68 years. He says, God, come on, let's, let's get moving here. You know, let's get moving. And God sends an angel, and the angel says, well, actually, let's show you what he said. Let's read in Daniel chapter 9. Let's see here. Daniel 9, <clears throat> uh, verse 24. I'm doing some skipping here. Daniel 9, 24. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this, that the time, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. Seventy-sevens. Now, Daniel had just been reading a prophecy about 70 years. He says, well, actually, 77s of years. 490 years from the time of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, in Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus decreed, go back and rebuild the temple. That was 538 B.C. But he didn't say to rebuild the city. It wasn't until Artaxerxes, his grandson who in, um, in 458 B.C. wrote a decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. You can find it in Ezra chapter 7. You know what? They actually did it. 
In fact, when you read Nehemiah, that's the story of them doing what Artaxerxes says. 458 BC. Now let's subtract 490 77s from 458. That's negative 32. 32 AD. Oh wait, no, not 32 AD, because the calendar went from 1 BC to 1 AD. So God's response to Daniel's request for a savior is that in the year 32 AD, the Messiah is going to come to Jerusalem to bring in everlasting righteousness, to, to end vision and prophecy, and to be anointed as the Holy One. That's pretty impressive. Daniel, in uh, the 550s BC, received a vision that told the year the Messiah would come to Jerusalem. And sure enough, he did. You know, God rules the nations. If he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You got that, folks. You, you, you see what we're talking about, right? The year that Jesus died in Jerusalem was predicted by Daniel hundreds of years before it actually happened. Now, I have to skip Daniel 10 and 11. Uh, also, the destruction of Jerusalem prophesied in Daniel 9, completed by Titus, son of Vespasian. While Vespasian was going back, and while Domitian was kicking out the other three kings of Daniel, all this stuff happening. And, and then there's Daniel uh, 10 and 11, which is the greatest prophecy of all, but I don't have time for that. What it is, it's a detailed historical account of the events surrounding the life in Tychus Epiphanes. You know the king of the north and the king of the south? You're like, oh, no, the king of the north, is that like Russia or something like that? Or king of the south, is it like Egypt, you know, kind of common mark, you know, kind of last day? No, 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 no. The king of the north was the Seleucid dynasty. The king of the south was the Ptolemaic dynasty. All right, if you need details, I've, there's some copies of my book on Daniel back there. I don't have time. I want to go to Daniel chapter 12. Awesome stuff, folks. Daniel chapter 12. Verse 2. Now Daniel's prophecy goes forward to end times. Everything else in Daniel has already been fulfilled. It's kind of like Revelation. The prophecies in Revelation have been fulfilled except Revelation 21 and 22. Got it? So it says here, multitudes asleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is a vision of the end. It says, at the end, multitudes will come out of their graves. We will rise at the end, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. It says, those who are wise among us will instruct many. We've got our evangelism passage right here. You know, eventually, if you're faithful to God, today you die, you're going to be like a star in the heavens, shining forever. But there's plenty of room up there. There's plenty of room for more stars. You need to help people get into this kingdom. You know what? I believe God rules the nations. And I believe, as Jesus said, if I put my faith in him, I will live even though I die. You know why I believe there's going to be a final resurrection? Because Daniel was always right. Daniel said it's going to be the 11th emperor. 
And he's going to be prideful. He's going to kick out three kings. He's going to change the set times and the laws. And guess what? It was the 11th emperor. And he said, when Alexander dies, he's going to be replaced by four. Count them, four. And from one of those four will come a fifth one. And that fifth one will lead to a ruler who will take away the sacrifice from him and will raise himself up to be as great as the prince of hosts. And Daniel said, 77s are decreed. And the Messiah will come to Jerusalem. So you know what? If Daniel says, multitudes will be raised, I believe it. I believe I will be raised from the dead. God rules the nation, and God even rules over death itself. Do not fear. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 